Uh, King Jesus, we thank you so much for everything you have done in our lives and who you are and who you've re revealed yourself to be, Lord Jesus. I pray for us now that as we open your word, we'd understand what you have for us. Uh, that we'd understand uh, not just the things that you want us to do with our lives, but the grace and the mercy that you pour out on us by the power of your gospel. So Jesus, as we open this text, I, I pray we would hear uh, from you. We would be changed by you and we would love you more, Lord Jesus. Uh, we love you and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 2, we're starting in verse 12. Uh, this is a very powerful text, and one of the most amazing things about this particular text that we're looking at uh, is that Paul really uh, front ends it with the reality of the hardship of life, but his focus uh, is what it means for you and for I and for us as the people of God to be a display of the gospel. So the gospel is what we believe, but it's not just what we believe. It's, it's what we live out of. Uh, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to save sinners like us from death to life. And there's nothing we can do to earn the love of God, but it's love that is poured out on us. And it is a love that we respond to by loving him and loving others. And so Paul begins uh, this piece of the text with a, with a snippet of his pastoral ministry and personal life, but then he digs into what it looks like for us to be a people who display, who showcase that reality of Jesus in the world. So verse 12 says this, When I came to trials to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Okay, so Titus is a guy that he's discipled. Titus is a guy he loves. Titus is a guy he's poured into. Uh, he goes to Trous to, to preach the gospel, and God's opening a door. Uh, it turns out in the first century, gospel ministry is hard. It's hard to tell people who worship multiple gods, who live in uh, hyper-spiritual uh, uh, reality, that a Jewish carpenter from uh, the backwoods of Palestine uh, is God himself in the flesh come to save sinners. But it turns out God is in the business of doing that, right? That's why we can be encouraged in the Northwest. We have a message that seems ludicrous to many, but is the truth. Just because it seems ludicrous to the world doesn't mean it's not the truth. But we bring this truth and we preach the gospel and we see people change and we see people meet Jesus and we see people know God by His grace and mercy. Now Paul had some doors open for him in this city. People were meeting Jesus. It sounds like he was able to start a church, plant a church, or get a community going. And Titus wasn't there. And so he has this weird mix of emotions where he has this both ministry and personal relationship with Titus, and he's, he's MIA, uh, and this church that he started. So God's doing wonderful things in this church, but he's got to go find Titus. And, and so he leaves to go find Titus, and, and he has to leave the situations that he's in, which probably feels like somewhat of a failure on a, on a sort of the pastoral level, but he goes to help Titus, and this is what we're told. And he, he comes back to this, and this, is, this anchors him in in the midst of this hardship in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always, and if I were taking notes in my Bible, I would underline the word always. Because the amazing thing about the word always in Greek is the way you translate it in English is always. Always. Which means all the time, by the way. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That is a really 
ornate way to say that wonderful little phrase. Uh, another great translation, which you might find in the Holman Standard Bible, uh, is the word display. That, that, but thanks be to God who in Christ always displays us. That's weird, right? He's leading us in triumphal procession. It's a parade metaphor. He's taking you and me and to the world. It's a metaphor, mind you. We're on the float, and he's taking us out in the world and say, look. Look. Well, why would he do something like that? That feels awkward. I was in a parade once, the ski to sea, Bellingham, Washington. I was in like the second grade. It was awkward, and I wasn't doing anything but walking, right? And you're, you're little, and it's awkward. And he's, he's talking about putting us on the, the parade floats and taking us out into the world and say, look at the gospel at work. And, and, and the beautiful word about that word, always, is there times in my life, like if we took the worst 15 minutes, maybe the worst 15 seconds of your last week, where you'd say, I don't feel like I always am displaying the gospel to the world. You know, that horrible, horrible imaginary highlight reel that's your worst 15 minutes of the week, and we put it on the, on the, uh, on the projector and we run it, right? I don't want that, and neither do you. Always is a big word in that moment. Jesus loves you always. You belong to Jesus always. You're a Christian always. You're forgiven always. Always is a very big word all of a sudden. But we are this display. Uh, Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be there just very quickly. But we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. There's a couple things we have to pull out and we'll talk about. In him, that's Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. He saved us to glorify him. The point of your life is to point to Jesus. The point of your life is to talk about how amazing and wonderful the Lord is. The point of your life in absolutely every minute detail is to make his name great in the world as a display of his beauty and his glory and his love. Now we've obtained this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right? So he did something. And then in verse 12, we're to the praise of his glory. And then we begin to see this in 15, and we'll see this even clearer in 2 Corinthians, I think. We're in 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. So they do something with the love that God shows them. They, they love other people, right? And specifically, he has in mind the saints, but as we'll see, I think even in 2 Corinthians, this is people. We love people. So they are living as a display of God's wonder and God's glory and God's gospel. But watch this, right? There's, there's different ways it's being displayed. And, and you need to know. You need to know as you leave here, and if you take anything with you that I say today, that he's doing this in your life right now if you love Jesus. And there's at least three ways that he is being glorified and being displayed in your life. Regardless of what you came in here with from last week and regardless of what you go out to next week, This is the truth. You are a passive display recipient, for lack of a better word. You sit in a picture frame and are a display of the gospel. Why? 
You are more loved than you could possibly know. You are more forgiven than you could possibly imagine. And you belong to Jesus more than you can possibly comprehend. And you are more in his clutches and more he has you more in any adversity that you might face than you possibly know. And there's a sense in which your life is a passive display of the glory of God. Recipient of love. But in addition to that, there's a, there's a vertical response, right? To the praise of his glory. So not only do we just receive, we're just receivers, but we also respond. We've received so much and we respond by loving him so clearly to the praise of his glory. And this is where it's so important that we understand that this is a, a, a theology of response. It's not a theology of works. A theology of works says, I'm going to love God so God will love me. I'm going to do the spiritual push-ups and the spiritual white-knuckling, and I'm going to do religious stuff so I get points so God will love me. And that's not what he's asking of us. We've actually received more love than we can imagine, not because of anything we've done. And then we respond. We have a theology of response to the praise of his glory, to the purpose rather than saying, God, I'm going to love you so that you will love me. Because you've loved me first, I'm going to love you and praise you. And there's sort of a, a horizontal, uh, it kind of flows out into the love of other people. Because if you imagine just for a moment, if you grasp just for a second how loved you are by God, how e- much easier is it to love other people? When you understand how patient God has been with you, how gracious God has been with you, how much you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, how, how you are who you are because of what He has done in your life, how much easier it is then to just sort of let that pour out onto other people. It's much easier. When you're loving people so that you will be loved by God, again, works theology rather than response theology, man, that's, that's hard to do. Because you're trying to get it from inside of yourself, and at some point in time, that well runs dry. But the well of the love of God for us doesn't. Okay, back to 2 Corinthians. He keeps going. And, okay, so the and is the in Christ. So we go back to who in Christ always it's an and, right? So it's both of these, one and two. So not only does he lead us in triumphal procession, we are a display of his glory and his grace, and through us spreads the fragrance. What a wonderful, what a wonderful, like, poetic thing to say. Spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Just like always, everywhere means everywhere. Everywhere the church goes. Everywhere the people of God go. Everywhere you go. Not just uh, everywhere uh, you know, a church leader goes or everywhere a Bible teacher goes. Everywhere you go. When you go to work tomorrow. When you go to school tomorrow. When you take care of your kids tomorrow. When you hang out with your friends tomorrow. When you hang out with your spouse tomorrow. When you do those things, God is using you in the world to display this fragrance of the knowledge of Him that when people come in contact with you, they can know Jesus more from the contact they have with you. And I, I think what we're after is kind of the reality we see in Matthew in chapter, chapter 5. If you'd go with me there. There it is. There's my two. One of my favorite verses of all time. First verse I ever preached in a preaching scenario. Uh, chapter 5, verse 14, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. R is the verb. Verb is the action. This is something you are. So you're not the light of the world when you did your devotional time just right this morning. 
when you had that great devotion, you ever had one of those great devotional times? Hopefully often have those great devotional times where you open God's word in the morning and you just hear from him and it sets the tone for your day because you know that you're loved by God and you know God is with you and you know he's moving and you know you didn't do anything to earn it. That's what he wants for you. And he wants you to know that and take that into your day and honestly take that everywhere, right? That's the truth. You are the light of the world, period. You're not the light of the world sometimes. You are the light of the world. And of course, in John in chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world because he's the light of the world and you get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Never forget that. But it says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Just like when I was a kid and I'm in my room and I light the stinky incense, even though my mom, who has this really nice sort of like, uh, I won't describe her house. She's a very nice house. It doesn't want her 14-year-old kid lighting incense in his room to make his room smell like whatever it smells like when you light incense in your room when you're 14. Turns out you can smell it downstairs. Your mom comes up and says, please stop doing that. And you do it again. Why? Why, Andrew? Why do you keep doing that? It's horrible. Right? But it's the aroma. It gets everywhere. That's the fragrance idea. Like Incense would have been so common in this time. It gets everywhere, just like city set on a hill. It gets everywhere. You know, you, you see one of these oil refineries in Anacortes or out in Blaine or whatever. Uh, at night, they just light up the sky. You can't hide them. That's not a commentary on whether they should or should not be lighting up the sky, but they light up the sky nonetheless. And if you're standing on top of a high point anywhere in Washington, you can see one of these refineries just lighting up the sky. It can't be hidden. You can't do that in a hidden way. You can't live your Christian life in a hidden way because Jesus is so actively touching your life and moving in your life and changing your life. And he gives these warnings. He says these are nonsense, right? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. That's silly, right? You turn your flashlight on, you put it in a bag, and you put it under your bed. Why do you turn the flashlight on? Let the batteries run out. It doesn't make any sense. You've been given in a life in Jesus to be a display of his grace and his mercy. And we can do things that completely cover it. It's like putting a basket on it. I think the most common ways we either do syncretism, there's a fancy Scrabble word, or sectarianism. We either get so cut off from the culture in which we live, which honestly is hard sometimes when we live in a culture that's so antithetical to what Jesus has for us, that we don't have contact with any non-Christians at all, we're not moving in that at all, so the light's not going out, or we're so uh, syncretized with everything that's happening that, that no one can tell you're a Christian because your life looks like every other Seattleite. The vision for this church has always been that we are people who live in Seattle, who love Jesus, who look so much like a normal Seattleite, and look radically different because we're loved by the Lord. So we don't do the things that God calls us not to do, but we do do the things of loving people and being here and being present to share the reality of who he is in the world. But on a stand that gives light to all in the house, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May they see the good works of being message carriers of the reality of Jesus and they too can have their hearts changed and they too can receive his grace and mercy and they too can live to the praise of his glorious grace and they too can love other people. Uh, back in 2 Corinthians. He keeps going. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. 
and those who are perishing. Our life, by default, when we're being faithful to Jesus, and you may have felt this in your own life, can at times, even when you're not telling anybody else how to live, let's be clear there, even when you're not telling anybody else how to live, even when you choose not to participate in the things of the world can be an indictment on the world. You don't want to come party with us? No, thanks. You guys have a good time, though. No problem. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a coworker situation, the coworkers just like rip on one coworker, right? Where there's just somebody at your work that everybody doesn't like this person and there's no good reason for it. They're just the person that nobody likes and there's nothing they can do right at any point in time. And you just abstain from being the person that just keeps piling it on people. You're kind to them and you're loving them and, and maybe, maybe there's somebody at your work who's a total jerk and nobody likes them for really, really good reasons. And you choose to respond to their unkindness with love. That can actually be an indictment on everybody else because they want you to just dislike that person whether they deserve it or not. There's, there's all these different ways that our life becomes this indictment. And at some point in time, we become the fragrance of death. The fact that we're committed to Jesus, we're committed to loving him, we're committed to the scriptures that reveal who he is. And, and even doing that in love and kindness and grace still rubs people the wrong way because you love them. And, and you're busy saying things like, hey man, I'm not going to tell you how to live. I, I want you to love Jesus. I will tell you all about Jesus. I'm not trying to clean up your morality. I'm not trying to clean up your act. I'm not trying to legislate your life. I'm telling you, you need Jesus. And by the way, when he's the king of your life, he will clean up your act, for the record, just to be clear. But I don't think my job is to change your life. My job is to tell you about Jesus. And I happen to know that if you believe in him, he will change your life. And I'm confident in that reality. And honestly, that is two things. Um, that can be two things, I should say, or is two things. It's always one of two things. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing, to one of fragrance from death to death and the other from life to life. Conversely, just as much as we can be the fragrance of death to death, we can be the fragrance of life to life. Whether or not they become Christians. I've often had those conversations with those coworkers, and they say, you're a Christian, it's weird, can we talk about it? I don't have conversations with coworkers like that anymore because I don't have any coworkers. But once upon a time, when I worked in things like restaurants, uh, when I was at Seattle University, people would say, you're weird, can we talk about how weird you are? And like, well, we can. That's not necessarily the nicest way to start a conversation, but sure, I'd be happy to, to have that conversation. I know some of you have that same experience in your jobs and in your life. And sometimes... Sometimes when you start telling someone about Jesus, just like someone told you about Jesus, you realize that Jewish carpenter from Palestine, he's God. And I love him. And he'll cleanse me. And he'll save me. And I want in. And I want this God. And I want to know him. And I want to love him. And I want to receive this grace. And I want to receive this mercy. I'm in. I'm in. The realm of life to life. Likewise, I think Christians can be life to life to each other. I mean, my wife can attest to this. There have been several occasions where we even do things like pray and say, I hope we meet a non-Christian on the airplane. And then there's like a 
I mean, one time in particular, there was like a, you know, this Christian businesswoman from Texas was sitting next to us or whatever, and, and it was just like, wow, she's really encouraging and helpful. I thought we maybe could talk to the non-Christian about something. Usually they just put their iP- you know, the headphones in and just kind of ignore you anyways, but, you know, why are you here? Oh, I, I thought I could have some evangelistic ministry today on my international or national flight. Oh, God sent another Christian to encourage me to be the realm of life to life because God knows what we need more than we know what we need. And he says this, who is sufficient for these things? Thank you, Paul, for asking my favorite question. We have several guys who have preached for our church and others in the room, and I think they can all tell you when you get ready to stand up here, uh, it doesn't ever wear off. I've been doing this for a number of years now, and it doesn't wear off ever to say, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to open God's word? How can I tell these people about, when you go out to do uh, ministry, whatever the thing might be, to be this aroma of Christ in the world, who is sufficient for these things? The good, great, godly answer comes from Romans chapter 11, verse 33. At the end of some very huge theological ideas, Paul lands in worship as he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how instructable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Nobody. Nobody. Not you. Not me. Nobody. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. This is a theology of response. This isn't a theology of works. This is a theology of response. He's lavished. This God who doesn't need anything from me has lavished everything on me and I get to respond. So who is, who is sufficient for these things? I think the Holman says, uh, competent. Who is competent for these things? Who is competent for evangelism? Who is competent to do the Ephesians chapter 2 reality of calling dead people to life in Christ? Not me and not you. And yet, somehow, somehow by His grace and mercy back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, he says this. For we are not like so many peddlers of God, God's word. Again, I almost use the homeland because I really like the word they use instead of peddlers because that's, that's, that's ornate and it's nice and you know what it says. They use the word marketers. We're not selling God's word. We're not marketing God's word. We're not trying to make it look appealing on the website so that people say, oh man, they have a beautiful website. I should be a Christian. Because nobody ever has said that. Ever. Now they may have had an accessible website which they can read about Jesus, which is good. We want to be gospel intelligible. But our aim is not to have awesome graphic design. And if you have awesome graphic design, praise the Lord. God likes things to look. God makes cool stuff. It's okay for us to make cool stuff too. Um, so don't, don't hear me wrong what I'm saying is, but in making cool stuff, let us have the right things be the right things that are the things to focus on. The beauty of the gospel. And we don't need market analysts to do that, by the way. But 
as men of sincerity. Listen to this one. As commissioned by God. You're commissioned by God. What makes you sufficient to be light in the darkness and the aroma of the gospel in the world? God said so, that's why. Because he commissioned you into the work and called you to the work and is going to empower you into the work and equip you uh, into that work so that we, oh, pardon me, that's last week. Um, As commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak, what? In Christ. My strength is in Jesus. My ability to do what I do is because Christ has done what he has done, is doing what he is doing, and will do what he will do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And what? And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. How can we live out this commissioning? It is because Jesus Christ is with us in it. That's why. That's how. I think the amazing thing about this passage is it shows us the sovereign power of God. It shows us that God is the one who has placed us in Christ and God is the one who is accomplishing his aims and his end. And in and of ourselves, who is sufficient for these things, we come up empty. But in Christ, we come up full. In Christ, we come up able. In Christ, we come up capable. In Christ, we come up blessed to to both receive the glory of God, the grace of God, to glorify God, and to glorify God by loving other people. I, I think this shows us that God not only saves us, but He uses us for His glory. And we get to enjoy Him as He's using us for His glory as we spread the word of Him to the ends of the earth. And this is the purpose of your life. You are a display. You are a display to the universe by simply receiving the love of God. You are a display as you praise God and return that love. And you are a display as you share that love with others, first and foremost, by sharing sharing with people and telling people about Jesus, but also loving and serving people as we are able. This is the purpose of your life. This is the purpose of church. Church is a display of the goodness and the glory of Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus, this is the truth. This is who God is, and this is what the gospel is. It's not get your life cleaned up so you can know God and He'll love you. It's that God loves you and will save you and will redeem you. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. King Jesus, we do thank you for this day and for this occasion and for this time and for this word. in the you know, 15 worst minutes of last week, we might not feel like a display people. But the amazing thing about your truth is we, it's not about how forgiven we feel or how loved we feel or how display-like we feel, but that we are loved and we are forgiven and we are a display. And so the motivation there comes to, to run after you and chase you and know you and love you and do whatever we can to know you and love you and love others more. Whatever we can do, Lord. Whatever we can do. But it's never so that you will love us. It is because you've loved us. And I just pray for us. You'd help us to display the truth of your mercy and your grace in this city. Jesus, we do love you. And pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.